Hello, and thank you for joining us on NEO Go. My name is Jonathan Frick, Manager of Global Mobility at NEO. I'm excited about the topic of conversation today because, to me, it's a foundational question that needs to be asked by every mobility professional. In fact, I believe it's a foundational question that every working professional needs to ask about their own role and department at some point. We will be addressing the why of mobility today. My guest, Chris Blair, is the manager of Globe Mobility at Aviva, and he'll give you a little bit more background about where he came from and how he landed in his role, but he really has a lot of insights about the why of mobility. He and his team have asked the hard questions and have come through on the other side feeling more confident about the role of mobility in the big picture of the company. I'll let him tell you about the journey in the podcast, but let me tell you, it was a positive challenge for me and my team after hearing everything that his team has gone through. In addition to hearing his story, he also provides practical advice for us on how we can take the same journey for ourselves. So without further delay, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris. So I'm sitting here with Chris Blair at FEM. So far, it's been a great conference, um, yeah. getting near the end, so we're about to tear the booth down. But I wanted to take this opportunity to spend some time talking with you about stuff that you see as relevant in the mobility world. So can you give us a little bit of background as far as how you fell into mobility before <laughs> we get into the, the topic yeah. of uh, what, what you're passionate about? I like the term um, that yeah, fell in. Yes. I, I, I've never met anybody in mobility that decided when they were 10 years old that what they wanted to be when they grew up was a, a global mobility manager. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so my name's Chris Blair. I work for um, a UK-based company called Aviva, mm-hmm. who sell insurance products and, and do investments and pensions. Uh, they're in the financial services industry. Um, I have been in global mobility for two and a half years, but I've been in mobility as a function um, for just under six years. So previous to the global mobility role, I managed the UK inbound and intra-UK mobility team Mm -hmm. um, and covered off um, taxing from a UK perspective and visas and immigration, so did our our sponsored stuff. So that that was the kind of progressive route. I joined Aviva back in 2012. I joined as a a, a standard HR advisor, taking calls on why Workday wasn't working the way they wanted. Worked is a great system, obviously. <laughs> you know, we still had to field calls. Yeah. Um, and then quickly moved on to management and then quickly moved into the um, the, the UK mobility space. Um, so a, a bit more experience than just the two and a half years. Um, previous to that, um, I was a youth worker for 10 years. Oh, wow. So a, a really distinct change in roles. But I think um, what I've, I've learned in the last, you know, um, five, six years is that... Um, People skills are transferable. You yeah. might think a youth worker just plays PlayStation all day, <laughs> but they don't. And, and understanding people, understanding kind of what makes them tick, the, the psychological and sociological elements, yeah, um, is what really drew me to it. And, that, and that's how I fell into it. And you know, I love what I do. You know, it, it, it's technical, but um, ultimately, you have a person. You know, ult- you know, we can talk about. The transactional nature of, of our programs mm-hmm. and policies and software and all of these things that we've been speaking about at this conference but ultimately the bottom line is there is a person and that yeah. person has emotions and that person has life and family and challenges and pets and change uh, and change yeah. and, and, and so you know that's why I'm passionate about the industry it's less the thing I do yeah. and it's more, more the reason why I do it yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's how I fell into it, <laughs> as you say. Well, it's a, 
you know, every story is a little bit different. Whenever you start talking with people, you find out things like you used to work in a youth program yeah, back yeah. in the day. And yeah. it's always fun to ask that question to people. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things you were talking about that you wanted to discuss today, what you're passionate about, mm-hmm. is learning from our past and making changes that move us forward. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your program, what the changes you're making currently are, what led yeah. to those changes, yeah. and um, maybe some lessons learned, but yeah. also some valuable assets that they can move forward with. Yeah. So, um, so our current program, so we have, um, at any one time, we have around about 100 to 140 active moves. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're a, we're a small to medium, you know, um, size program. We have, uh, in terms of the, the traditional short or long-term assignment, we have around about 70 mm-hmm. uh, of those moves at any one time, kind of as an active assignment. We have um, a population of around 50 graduates, so uh, the graduate program looks slightly different. It's a, it's a bit of a combination of uh, a short term and a long term in terms of how we treat them. Um, it's a bit, bit of a mix. And then we have uh, we also look after our um, short term business visitors. Mm-hmm. So that we, we we've taken that into mobility and we said we we own that, as well as um, permanent international transfers and, and local. Um, new hires which have an international element so tax immigration as well as any relocation support Um, we initiate so rather than the active population which generally fluctuates as I said between probably 100 and 140 um, at any one one time um, we initiate around about 180 to 200 assignments okay Um, so that's you know where you've got short term three six month assignments that complete in a year so so that's the kind of total that we that we do on a year on year basis. We've grown our so our population has grown by around about I, I did the stats for this, so I should really not only did it this week. So um, we've grown by around about twenty percent, fifteen to twenty percent year on year over the last four years. Oh, wow. So 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 the program grows. That's big. It grows. Um, it's probably going to I would expect it to plateau at the moment okay. a little bit around to it. Currently about um, I think 170 mark, and I would imagine that next year we'll we'll stick around that in terms of initiations, 172 to 200. I can't see it's going bigger than 200. Now, is that population growth? If I can interrupt real quick, yes, is fine. that in line with the growth of the company, or is no? This just a if anything, over time, the company. So the company's grown. It's it's head count in the last few years. Mm-hmm. It's grown slightly. I think we've generally stuck around the 36,000 employees worldwide. Okay. Um, obviously, there's a degree of fluctuation, but it's not that the company itself has grown its headcount, and we've. I think we've standardised our policies recently, you know, this year, and we've shone a bit of a light and, and tried to get a bit better at what we do. And I think that naturally has encouraged more assignments, which is what's related to more people. Do you think these assignments may have been happening without your knowledge previously? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> every global mobility manager knows that. They don't oh, yeah. really know every international move. Yeah. Um, I think bringing the STBVs in has also kind of increased our assigning headcount because we count them within our numbers now. So again, there's, you've got to be careful with numbers because in some respects it can look like you're growing, but when really you're just kind of actually adding the numbers in. So yeah. you know what it is, we'll, we'll see over time. I don't think we can just simply take a snapshot and say, yes, what you can see over the last four years is we've definitely grown mm. the program. Um, so so that, that's kind of currently our assigning population. We're, we currently have quite static policies with a degree of flexibility in. Um, and we currently don't use any mobility software, so everything is like the, 
the um, Oracle of Excel. <laughs> Everyone loves. We we use uh, vendor software, so for our tax providers, relocation providers, we use their software, but we don't have a, an in-house mobility solution. Um, and so, what I've been doing, um, just in my role um, over the last um, few months, um, has been to start to review the, the mobility processes mm-hmm. um, and the proposition. Okay. Uh, and, and the thinking that goes behind it and how we think forward and not stay stagnant with with, with where we're at. If I can um, interject, the, yeah. the, what I'm hearing more and more in the U.S. is a question, the why of mobility. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, and it's going to be different for every organization. Yeah. And so that you're really exploring that now, which is yeah. great. We did, a, we, we did a piece of work in January this year after our first graduate rotation cohort mm-hmm. went out. So we've done two graduate cohorts now, and our graduates do a year-long international rotation. So we move, so we move forty-seven people in the space of three months this year, oh, wow. uh, which was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and, and so we reviewed it last year in terms of what went wrong, um, and we and we did a process that's called systems thinking, and it's it's kind of a process. It's not just process improvement; it challenges the thinking behind your processes. Right. Um, and one of the things we did, did was why, that the purpose, what the point um, of, of global mobility is, why does it exist? Um, and we were given a challenge about seeing global mobility not from an assignee's eyes or the business unit, which is, that tends to be the norm, right. but to see it from our customers' eyes, our oh, wow. policyholders, our investors, mm-hmm. our, the people that we take money off. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a, a car insurance, a home insurance, a pension plan, or whatever with us, how do, how do I, as a global mobility manager, justify the extra 10 pence or the extra 20 pence or whatever in my slither of salary and cost will be? Mm-hmm. How do I justify that? And that was a really kind of quite enlightening experience. Of, you're not just talking about how you're making a signing's life better or the business unit and their cost, which is you know what everyone always talks about. You're actually talking about how do I justify my existence in this company for our customer? Um, and where we got to in terms of the purpose was that the global mobility function within Aviva um, exists to make Aviva a better proposition for our customers. And how do we do that? We move our investors to um, locations where we need to develop our investment portfolio to create a better investment proposition. We move our digital architects to locations where we've got a burgeoning, and so we've got a really strong digital um, business in Asia. So we move digital architects from our London office across to Asia to develop that market and what it's mm-hmm. doing. We move data analytics um, experts from Canada to the UK to develop our understanding of how we're analysing our claims, to bring our claims down and to bring our premiums down. So actually our role as global mobility is to benefit our customer, is mm-hmm. to make Aviva by moving our talent, by putting them in the right place at the right time in their career to develop them as people. You know, it's ultimately to ultimately the bottom line is to improve Aviva, make Aviva more profitable, a better proposition, a better company for our customers. That's that's the goal. So whenever you started asking the why of mobility, did it ultimately lead to this concept of how does it benefit the customers or was it kind of like a light bulb moment that it popped up out of the blue like we always talk about the business units. We always talk yeah. about the employees. The employee experience is a huge conversation over in the yeah. United States right now. But was there like a light bulb moment? That it's like, I think, what about the customers? Yeah, so I think, so, so we're really looking at you, but we have um, a whole department that's dedicated to what, this, this 
um, methodology called systems thinking. Mm-hmm. So we have a designated systems thinking consultant for mobility who essentially, you know, um, he's a good friend of mine now because his role is to just go, why? <laughs> his role is to just prompt and to go, you know, you, you talked about the wrong stuff, why? You know, and to really kind of, you know, he, he's not a mobility professional, he doesn't have experience, and that's really refreshing. Yeah. I think sometimes at conferences like this, you sit in a room with everyone that talks the same language and knows everything, and you miss the really obvious things that are just downright silly. Sure. Um, you miss, like, why are we doing that? And everyone just carries on doing it because that's what we know that we do. That, mm-hmm. That's the point about moving on from the past. Um, and it was, it, it, was, it was our systems thinking consultant, Max, who... When we did the purpose, you know, we started out talking about designing the business unit, and it was him that went no from the customer, customer, and kept bringing us back to the customer, kept drawing us back every time we'd go off and go, well, we got got to make sure the business unit tap is like no customer, and and what we found was back in January, and then we picked it up again later in the year. But what we found is that by having the customer at the centre, that then moves on to the assignee and making sure the assignee is right when they arrive, mm. making sure they're strong and they're ready for day one and they're, they're, they, they're, they feel supported when they arrive. And then it moves to, um, to, to the business unit, making sure the business unit are working. And it, it naturally flows rather yeah. than forced. I think what I can say is that when I got it, which took a while, I yeah. had to really work, yeah. work through, it, it was a light bulb moment. It was a real moment of... Of wow, yeah. that's powerful. Actually, yeah. wow, that's a very different view than it what is. I've than what I've experienced before in mobility conferences or with talking to peers of mine in the industry. It's a very, very, and even in a function like the people function, which mm-hmm. is our we have a people function, which is our HR function. Even in the people function, when you're in a functional business unit, you tend to not think of the customer. Mm. You think of the employees and the right. business units. You know, it's even a, 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 re, a fresh way of thinking for, for ourselves in Aviva you know, as a function. So, yeah. Well, with this revelation, I'm sure it changes just the mindset and the approach to whenever you're on a phone with the employee or you have to make a decision on an exception basis yeah, or something yeah. along that line. Were there any uh, documented changes that came about because of this policy changes? So, what, so one thing we did was, um, so we started out reviewing the graduate program. That was the first thing we did. Um, and what we needed to do that and what we realised when we looked at the process and we looked at our customer and we looked at where we were sending our graduates and how we were doing it and we, you know, there, was, there was feedback we got from the graduates around um, the most stressful experience of my life hmm. I felt like Aviva didn't really care about me you know, really quite difficult you know, feedback to read so what we did was we, we looked at where the issues were around home searches kind of remote home searches are pretty difficult we can't send the graduate before they, they go and we removed it. We removed corporate leases altogether. We hmm. said, right, well, you're going to stick you all in service accommodation for a year. Hmm. So that was one of the main changes. Now, for most mobility professionals, service accommodation for a full year is a very expensive way to do it. Yes. Um, but actually, we worked with our vendor, and we said, right, we want to figure this out. Um, and we actually came, came under budget. We actually came under a corporate lease budget. Hmm. So we had a corporate lease budget for the year. And when working with them, with this year-long stays, we did that. So we did that. We centralised our immigration to try and make it simpler. So rather than having different immigration processes for different countries, we brought in our immigration provider. And rather than they only provided it in certain countries, which was the model we had, we said, right, you provide it in every country. And we we streamlined that process. Um, We looked at communications and how we kind of give the assignees the right information at the right time. 
um, with enough information to make them feel valued, to make them feel um, not, not in a fake way, but in a, just a real get ready for your move. So we did that with the graduates. Some of it's worked, some of it hasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I certainly don't want to give the impression on the podcast that sure. you know we we we're in this really good place. We're not. We're we're, we're still really start the journey. A lot of the last twelve months has been developing our thinking, less developing the the actionable implementation of that thinking, mm-hmm. and that's what the next twelve months will really look like. How do we how do we bring this stuff in? Um, how do we create operational excellence, um, which is something I'm. Um, strongly looking at in Q4 for the mobility function um, before we move on to, to more quite exciting and quite energised things next year. But So, you know, we've brought some things in that has greatly improved the experience. Mm-hmm. We are reviewing some other bits at the moment. Um, we're reviewing kind of how our payroll works. So yeah. our payroll can, as everyone will know, can be really challenging. Mm-hmm. So we're having a real review about the role of our tax provider in that, the role of global mobility and the role of our pay- market payrolls. And can we expect them to fully know expat payroll? You know, you know, it's yeah. kind of knowledge gap. So, but it all starts with the customer. Mm-hmm. It all starts with the customer. Then, if, you know, if you don't get the assignees pay right, then they're not going to be as good at doing their job. If they're not as good at doing their job, then right. the customer is. It still comes back to that customer. Um, so there's some tangible bits. It's not enough yeah. right now, um, if I'm really honest. Um, you know, we're still in a very admin resource-hungry process. Yeah. But the thought process that we've got in terms of going forward is to try and automate some of that non-value-add mm. So you can do the real value add with the assignee because yeah. again it comes back to the customer. It comes back to that land on day one. How do you how do you create more flexible policies? How right. do you, there's lots of questions that come off it. But certainly, I think I think that the cases I've done with the graduates, you know, the question about you know does that thought of the customer change how you view exceptions and change how you view, you know, what we do? Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Um, you focus a lot more then on the assignee, mm. and um, I would argue. And, and a lot of my mobility professionals would, would disagree with me with this, but I would argue that the the true source of understanding what du- duty of care is, is the assignee. Mm. So the only person that can really determine what they need for an assignment is the assignee, hmm. not the global mobility function. I think the global mobility function has a, a role to play in advice and guidance and consultancy and expertise you know, and, and, and making sure people are aware of mm-hmm. things. But in terms of whether people take it up, have it, whether they need pet shipment, whether they need... Um, and we don't allow pet shipment in our policy, so just to, just to caveat that, yeah, I'm saying it, just in case Viv's listening. <laughs> um, my boss. Um, but, you know, we caveat it and we say... Um, uh, the reason why I caveat that is because, you know, the viewpoint is is actually the assignee knows best. Mm-hmm. But it, even the way we're structured in Aviva... We have static policies, and we, we inform the assignee what they should have, um, and and that comes after you know the businesses negotiated it and, right. and the like. So, I, I think the, the customer mindset and having that, I think if mobility teams did do that, if anyone you know listening to the podcast went, you know, we want to develop that, just be prepared that it will challenge the vast majority of things that you know to be true about the mobility function, because yeah. it will challenge that and say, are you right about that? So a lot of the policies I've read in the past 
have like an introductory paragraph. Mm. And usually it's something along the line of the company's investing a lot of money in you. This is also a fantastic experience for you, but we're also going to benefit. Looking at those two stakeholders that you mentioned at the beginning, the assignee and the business unit, mm. do you think there's a possibility, if you're looking at your policies, to tie that all back to the customers, say, we're ultimately doing this because we want to be the best in the business for our customers? Yeah, I, I, I think there is. I think um, my personal view, so this isn't Aviva's view, mm-hmm. Um, and I need to strongly say that you know sure. it's not that I've ever going to implement this. My personal view is, I think you have to have the assigning the business unit. The way we think about them, I think, is is skewed. We think the assignee is always going to take, 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 and we think the business unit's always going to be don't don't give money, don't give right. money. And I think right. that's true in some circumstances, but the vast majority of assignees just want what they need. Mm. And the vast majority of business units just want to pay what they can afford. Mm-hmm. And, and that conversation is very different. And I think if you bring the customer into that, and actually, I think just thinking about it now, uh, I think there's probably a challenge that you don't even need to bring the customer because our business units and our assignees are probably more customer-focused than we are. Mm-hmm. So the, the customer is probably already there. Mm-hmm. The reason why we don't spend as much money is because we want to make sure that our costs are balanced so that we're not... On. The reason why the assignee wants what he needs is so he can do the job to benefit our customers. So, sure. um, so I think to a degree that's there. I think what it challenges us as mobility is to really think about who are the decision makers in, in what's right for our customer. Mm-hmm. You know, who are the decision makers regarding doing mobility? Who are the decision makers regarding assignments and policy? You know, I think that's a real challenge for us. I think that it, I genuinely think that we've got a real strong role to play in mobility. Mm-hmm. But I think we've got to have a bit more of a think about what that role is. Sure. Um, and that isn't to diminish any of the work. I know the work I do and I know the work a lot of my colleagues and professional colleagues do and it's phenomenal work. But it's, are we spending the time and energy in the right place mm-hmm. in order to deliver for our customer through our business units and assignments? Yeah. So just kind of a closing thought uh, practical advice for your colleagues. Yeah. The concept of the why of mobility yeah. is something I've struggled with. Yeah. I'm a service provider, obviously, and yeah. um, it, I want to make sure that I'm tying what I'm doing ultimately to the why of mobility for my clients, etc. And I know I'm not the only one who struggles with figuring out the answer. It sounds like you guys might not have the entire answer, but you're definitely a lot further along than others. Yeah. How would you suggest, how would you encourage your fellow mobility yeah. people in order to pursue that? Um, I've got a really great boss. So her name is Viv Mott, and, and she's certainly in EMEA really well known in the industry. She's been in the industry for 30 years, and the things that I've learned from her in the last two and a half years have been absolutely, you know, I've, uh, immeasurable um, in terms of what I've learned. My career has been accelerated. My, um, my network is, has been accelerated, you know, way beyond the two and a half years I've been in the industry. Um, and that is due to the um, experience and, and length of service in the industry my boss has had. Mm. But equally, I have to rec- acknowledge that when I'm intending to be in the industry for as long as I'm intending, I have to develop beyond what my boss knows. That's, mm-hmm. that's the natural progression. And I guess that my very practical advice to colleagues is don't be shackled by 
industry standard. Don't think that industry standard is the right standard. It may be. You may review it. You may rip it apart. You may build it back together, and it may be exactly the same as when you started. But then you'll have absolute confidence in why you're doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't be shackled by industry standard and the way it's been done. Don't use that as a reason to just carry on doing so I think that's the first bit of practical advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think secondly is step back. Mm. Step out of mobility sphere and our little bizarre corner of <laughs> HR or reward or talent or yeah. whatever. Step back and, and really challenge yourself as to why you have a job. Because mm. that's ultimately what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And we in Aviva have had number of conversations as to why the GM function exists. Hmm. You know, which is the question about should we even have it? Right. Should it even exist? And and by working through that we know it should. We've got a clear understanding that it should be more of that sensor of excellence, that consultancy, that expertise, less of the transaction, less of the admin, less you know, and that that leads us down then a very practical route. So we are quite or we're getting quite developed in our thinking Mm -hmm. rethinking mobility but you've just got i think you've got to be confident and ready to to really go for it to really kind of step back um ask yourself the questions about the customer ask yourself the questions about why your function is there what do we add Mm -hmm. what is the value and don't be scared that you know you might actually end up saying that we don't in our business we shouldn't have one um, and, and that can be a bit of a weird experience kind of basically talking yourself out of a job yeah. but I think if you're scared of that the context and things you'll put behind your answer won't be true to the sure. customer and the assignee which again as I said right at the beginning ultimately what we care about and what we need is the assignee mm-hmm. that, that's ultimately and then therefore that leads on to the customer yeah. so yeah that would be it well, great advice Thank you very much for Thank your time. You. Thank you for listening to me ramble on. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the conversation and hope our listeners do as well. And uh, cool. I guess I'll see you at the next conference, right? Yeah, okay. hopefully. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your answer for your department? What is the foundational why for your role and how do you tie it to the company's success? The value proposition to the customer was a new answer to me on the question, but it is very much a huge piece of the company goal and makes sense for consideration by the team. I hope you take the challenge and advice from Chris to review your role and processes because as you heard from him, the other side of the question is confidence and vision that was not there previously. If you enjoyed our talk today, please tune in over the next couple months for more conversations from industry leaders like Chris. For now, I'm Jonathan Frick. Thanks for listening.